everybody. Welcome to the January 20th, 2017 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on State Senator Mike Johnston throwing his hat into the ring for the, Dem the 2018 Democratic gubernatorial primary. In what is sure to be a competitive race, Johnston is one of the first in possibly a long list of politicians said to be running. Pat Cahoon from Westward, uh, what kind of advantage does Johnston get by announcing this early? Uh, more headlines than when six people announce on the same day, and we could have that too. Mike Johnson's an interesting guy. We profiled him in our cover the week of the Democratic National Convention in 2008 when he was just this leading principal, really smart guy, getting kids in school. Um, he's done a good job too in the legislature, but he's going to have a lot of competition, and we'll just kind of see who rises. David Copeland, Penn Institute and DU Law School. Uh, do you think there's going to be an advantage at the state capitol with how Senator Johnson goes about his business if he's always rocking, walking around as a gubernatorial primary candidate? It might hurt him a little bit, but there's an advantage of getting out early and, and being known and, and perhaps clearing the field, at least within your own space in the party. He has a lot of advantages. First of all, as Patty said, he's been a school principal. That means he has an actual executive leadership experience and sometimes people who have just been in legislatures and then become governors have a, have a tough time learning how to do that at first. Second, he's widely respected by people in both parties as a serious person who's very well informed and you might disagree with him on policies but he's gonna on most of them lear learn the facts and, and the figures and and try to come to a thoughtful decision and third he's a leader in the in a tradition in Colorado that goes back to Governor Roy Romer of being very pro-public education, but also being pro-reform on that, on saying that the just putting more money into the old system isn't enough. He wants more money, but he also has been in favor of improving the system. Eric Sonneman, political analyst, does an early announcement like this point to a particularly bruising primary? It's going to be a bruising primary no matter when people announce. First of all, I have to take excep exception to the topic. I mean, we're sitting here on Inauguration Day, and we're oh, going to... we'll definitely get to that. I, I understand, <laughs> but uh, as we're formally wrapping up one election, we're going to start previewing one <laughs> two years from now. I, I think our viewers, if we don't deserve a break, our viewers deserve a break. Uh, truth be told, Mike Johnson is not the first person in this race. A businessman, civic leader, philanthropist, Noel Ginsburg, also a very credible person, announced uh, back over the holidays. Uh, Mike Johnson is a very credible guy, very interesting guy. I like him a lot. Uh, he would be a very formidable candidate in November against any Republican. Johnson's biggest challenge, and he may well be able to overcome it, to overcome it, is going to be through a primary because he has offended as David said, by taking on some education issues, he's offended some core Democratic constituencies. This is going to be a wild primary. We don't know all the entrants yet. We won't for some time. Ken Salazar being the big variable. Is he going to get in or not? 
he would be a favorite, not a prohibitive favorite in my mind. You hear Ed Perlmutter, Carrie Kennedy, former state treasurer, is certainly looking at this race. I would expect her entry before long. And then you have the Bernie Sanders wing of the party, and whether that's Representative Joe Salazar or whoever, they will be heard from. There's a lot of talent and going to be a lot of noise. Kristen Wyatt, AP reporter, rounds out the panel. Uh, what effect has this announcement had over at the Capitol? Well, I'm going to save you here and say that uh, the presidential inauguration has a lot to do with the governor's race. Uh, not long ago, when people thought Hillary would be the nominee or be the candidate or be the president, um, it, usually midterm elections are very bad for the ruling party in Washington. We th well, I thought it was going to be a monster Republican primary for governor here. Walker Stapleton versus George Brockler versus maybe Wayne Williams. And there wasn't a lot of talk about what the Democrats would do. And now we're going to see like a lot of fireworks on the Democratic side. I think it's a, uh, I don't know how it changes things at the Capitol. I think it's really a lot far off for folks. I will say that people at the Capitol, certainly in the press corps, I'll call Michael Johnson the blonde Jesus. He can, he is an eloquent speaker, but can be, you know, very flowery sometimes and a little sanctimonious. So I'm really curious to see. I don't understand uh, the Democratic base here in the state well enough to know how much you need the teachers' unions to win a Democratic primary here. What's, how is everything going to shake out? So it, there's a lot of new stuff to talk about, about where this race is going. We probably won't see that nickname on his bumper stickers, probably but it's not. good to know. It's good to know. <laughs> well, uh, Kristen alluded to it. Let's get to it. Donald J. Trump was sworn in on Friday as the 45th president of the United States. His inaugural address was focused on making America first and reminiscent of his campaign stump speeches. Meanwhile, protests continue from citizens and politicians alike who have shown their lack of support for the embattled new president, including a women's march in Washington scheduled for Saturday. Patty, uh, I am no presidential historian. Um, however, I'm, I'm willing to bet at least a fair amount of money that this is the first inaugural address that included the term American carnage. Perhaps I'm wrong. Your thoughts? I believe it was the first. Uh, I was listening to it in the car, or I would have Googled that up. And also winning big. I think that was the only thing that was really reminiscent of him, uh, Trump, being unplugged. Trump, who I would say maybe is the blonde Jesus. If It's amazing that he has risen. When you think about the fact that he is now the president of the United <coughs> States, against all predictions that were made, not just here, but almost every single national punditry show. His speech was, it proved he could actually follow a written speech. His speech was pretty short. It was pretty effective, I think. It hit all his normal themes. It did sound a lot like a stump speech, but it did, at least it didn't end with you're fired, which was his first press conference. Uh, we're seeing protests, and that's not a big surprise. You're seeing, uh, I've got a reporter in Washington who says the pro-Trump people, a very small group of the pro-Trump people have gotten kind of ugly. Small group of the anti-Trump people have also gotten ugly. I think the Women's March will be one of the more fascinating political moves because this is a group of women marching in solidarity, probably 200,000 there. There are going to be thousands in Denver, thousands across the country. And all they're doing is supporting women and women's rights. And I think that's a message that we have to remember because women felt pretty embattled at, during some of the Trump's campaign speeches over the year. David, the speech at 16 minutes uh, is short. He promised a, a brief speech. It, it seemed to me clearly uh, for his supporters. This was not a unifying, shining city on the hill speech. This is maybe not spiking the football, but, but closer to that. What did you take away from what you heard? Well, I think it was classy of uh, Senate Minority Leader uh, Charles Schumer to show up and give a uh, a short speech. Uh, he, he attempted a symbolic filibuster, but, but cut it <laughs> cut it short. Uh, there were no doubt lots of 
Trump's most strongest supporters in the audience who were heartbroken when he didn't end his inaugural with a locker-up chant and having Mrs. Clinton led away in handcuffs. But it was it was actually quite classy of, of the Clintons uh, to show to a- attend as well. I think back about the Reagan inaugural in 1980, which I attended uh, for the protest. We had a there was a protest at the Washington Monument that I participated in, and nobody had invited me to the inaugural itself, so that's what I went to instead. And protests are very much part of what America is about and American freedom. And the, the, the same spirit was the people today protesting peacefully at the Colorado State Capitol. And as Patty talked about, the, the women's marches that are going to be going on. And those are all really honorable parts of being an American citizen. Unlike us Reagan protesters back in, anti-Reagan protesters back in 1981, last night and this morning, there's been a lot of entitled thugs who have gone around smashing windows attacking people with uh, pepper spray and mace and things like that, beating up old men. That's not protest. That's, that's fascism. And I hope in this, as we go forward, that state and local and federal law enforcement authorities react more vigorously than they have in the past about suppressing uh, these criminals who attack other people uh, and claim that because they're progressives in their own deluded minds uh, that they have the, uh, the authority uh, to commit criminal violence against others. Separating the rioters from the protesters. Yes. Uh, Eric, it, it seems that one of the hallmarks of this early presidency is um, the unexpected. No one really knows what to expect from a President Trump. Uh, when you looked at the speech, did you feel that was expected? No, it wasn't expected. Uh, I, I tweeted at the time, this was Steve Bannon's speech, not Reince Priebus's speech. This was the populist Donald Trump and the populist. There's this internal tension, I think, within Trump and certainly within his troops as to what kind of a president he wants to be. At least on day one and hour one, he was Donald Trump, the populist, feeding red meat to his base. There was very little Donald Trump unit, trying to be the unifier, trying to be, as he says he wants to be, color me dubious, but... Uh, the president for the entire country. I regard it as a stunning day. I mean, we're taping this only an hour or two after it happened. It won't air, obviously, until this evening. Uh, We've known this day was coming since November 8th or early in the wee hours of November 9th uh, when when Trump broke that blue wall and pulled this off. But it's one thing to know what's coming. It is another thing to have the day here. Um, It is stunning. He is such a strange populist. If you were to try to cast somebody in the populist role, you probably wouldn't pick somebody, you know, who was born, handed a real estate empire, grew the empire, looks like Donald Trump looks, travels like Donald Trump travels, lives like Donald Trump lives. But yet that is the role he is trying to play as the great American populist. We are going through a populist time in this world, not just in this country, but in this world. The good news is that populist moments tend to be rather short-lived. The bad news is they tend to be somewhat ugly. And we will have to see how much ugliness ensues here. Uh, We are living, you know, with the old Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. We are living in interesting times uh, and uh, somewhat unprecedented times here. Kristen, you alluded to it a little bit earlier, but talk a little bit more about the effect. Is it maybe kind of a delayed reaction at the Capitol, waiting to see the inauguration and maybe perhaps what's going to happen the first few days? 
I'm going to steal another line from another reporter who calls it the um, comb over tsunami. And this faces all states, no matter if you're a blue state, a red state, or the unusual purple state like us. Um, you'll have a conflict in every state between those who say, let's go ahead and dismantle the health care system we've set up and we can't afford the Medicaid expansion if we've done it, so let's just undo it. Others are like, well, let's wait until we're forced to by the feds. Um, of course, in here in Colorado, huge questions about marijuana. We have no idea how this administration will approach. Um, the way the Obama administration approached marijuana was through a series of justice memos. Those could be changed in two seconds. And it's really unclear wh where all this stuff is going. And so I think with the divided legislature and a lot of uncertainty in Washington, you're going to see a whole lot of not much happen at the state capitol this year. Seems like a very busy April. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Denver's safety, safety department leaders were on the spot this week at a police reform accountability meeting held on Tuesday. With over 1,000 people in attendance, safety manager Stephanie O'Malley and Sheriff Patrick Furman agreed to continue working with community members in reform efforts by creating an advisory board. Meanwhile, when asked if he'd do the same, Police Chief Robert White declined, pointing back to community meetings he's already scheduled, to rela scheduled related to the new use of force policy. David, do meetings like this mean 1,000 people is nothing to sneeze at? Do meetings like this uh, mean significant change? I um I, I think so, and I, and I think it's important for, in America, we have a system of policing by consent, you know, rather than policing from above, which is sort of, say, the Brazilian model. Uh, and so these, these are important. I think for the, the first time in a very long time, the Denver Sheriff's Department has really solid leadership with, with Sheriff Furman. One of the problems they have, which he can't solve by himself, is overcrowding there. And that's, that ought to be a priority for Mayor Hancock to fix. The jail is not just for people who are in, you know, there for three days uh, you know, before they get processed and, and make bail. That's some people. But people who get sentenced to often up to a year can spend that, enti that entire time in jail. One of Sheriff Furman's priorities when he was sheriff in, in suburban Chicago was rehabilitation. So you've, you've, you know, you've got somebody for nine months. Okay, well, let's, let's work with that person, you know, vocational education or reading skills, d do things to help that person not come back uh, two years after release. And so we need to fix the overcrowding problem. And Mayor Hancock ought to reprioritize the Denver city government's spending on boondoggles, of which he's in love with many, and on to things like jails, because when you're in jail, it's not an option of whether you deal with the government. The government's decided to deal with you. And so that ought to be the priority about having appropriate conditions for people who are going to be in there for uh, up to a year. And if you're looking for information to apply to the Denver Sheriff's <laughs> Department Advisory Board, see the email provided below on the screen. Eric, as you look at the pressure put on uh, the and and then accepted from the sheriff saying, hey, okay, we'll do an advisory board. Do you think that pressure will mount for Police Chief White? It may mount. I think White will probably continue to resist it as long as he has the backing of Mayor Hancock to resist it. I regard this, Dominic, as really this meeting of a thousand people and other protests around the community. I think it's symptomatic of two things, and I think it has less to do with the substance of the use of force policy, the draft that was released. I don't think this is about substance. I think they're responding to bigger factors. Number one is the distrust of the police and fire, excuse me, police and sheriff department that has been building in this community for 
years and years, probably going on a decade here, after incident after incident, payout after payout, bad video after bad video. So I think that distrust, particularly in minority communities, understandably so, is rampant. Secondly, back to the inaugural topic, I think it is a reaction to what's going on on a broader scene, a bigger scale, uh, and some of the some of the rhetoric coming out of this campaign, some of the symbolism coming out of this campaign, some of the distrust of this new administration, particularly on the part of minority communities. I think you put those two together, you get somewhat of a toxic brew, and you get upheavals and protests like this. Kristen, do you think more meetings like this in the community is, uh, are, are a good thing for the mayor's office to embrace since they've come under fire of, for a variety of uh, issues among the, uh, around the safety department? Absolutely. It is so um, interesting to me how important it is to people to feel like they're being listened to. Even when sometimes we, we, I can see his point saying, I'm having these meetings, you need to have them all the time. Even if you don't do anything that people tell you that they want you to do, it is an important thing to people that make them feel like w that my feelings are being heard and someone is, is hearing me, at least giving me a chance, a forum to talk about my, my describes with, that, with what's going on. Patty, do you think we're going to see anything of substance come from this meeting or other means like it? Oh, I think we will. First of all, we saw that Sh Chief White did schedule three community meetings after the uproar over the fact that he'd released the use of force policy draft without having any meetings with the community. So clearly he wants to listen or he knows he needs to listen to them, uh, whether or not he incorporates their beliefs, whether he decides to do community meetings after that. Uh, the whole event, though, was quite the spanking for these public three public officials. They had barely any time to answer. They weren't really allowed to go too far in their explanation, so that was too bad. I would have liked to have heard a lot more of what they wanted to say. We have to remember that Stephanie O'Malley, isn't at, as head of public safety, is in charge of the sheriff's department, the fire department, and also the police department. So if she's saying she's going to have public meetings at a certain point, that will affect the police department, too. The Federal Highway Administration gave final approval of the proposed $1.2 billion I-70 project in northeast Denver this week, ending a 14-year journey for the Colorado Department of Transportation. The approval concludes the environmental impact studies, yet more legal hurdles are likely still to come. Uh, Eric, uh, now that the federal uh, authority has given their final blessing of these 14 years, is it really a fait accompli? No, it's not a fait accompli. Nothing's ever a fait accompli. I mean, Donald Trump is talking about major infrastructure projects. This is just one indication of what anyone who tries to do infrastructure in this country is up against um, in, in almost any circumstance. And, and a lot of the procedural hurdles and protests are very legitimate, whether it's in this case or many other cases. Uh, 14 years is a very long time. I got a kick out of reading the story this morning and seeing people say the process was rushed. Rushed and 14 years are not usually words you put together. <laughs> uh, this was the final blessing, as you indicated, Dominic, from the federal government. But uh, there will still be plenty of activists, plenty of protests uh, and that will play out in court. We'll see whether the court really entertains these cases or dismisses them and then you have the biggest hurdle of all in my mind which is a funding hurdle and particularly with new priorities coming out of Washington although you would think infra with infrastructure being high on the list you would think something like this would not only survive in those budgetary meetings but maybe even thrive and rise to the fore but you still have to fund the thing. 
Kristen, speaking of the uh, the lawmakers, Capitol Hill, do you think we're going to see some more movement on funding or other issues related to transportation projects? Definitely. Top priority for everybody was complaining about traffic. Um, of course, the, the disagreements how to do it. You did see, this is very unusual, I have never seen this. The Republican Senate president basically didn't shut down the idea of a tax hike, sending it to voters um, this fall. Basically said, we need to do a good job vetting it, but that's something we could look at, which is really dramatic change for a lot of Republicans. Um, so I think you will see some tax sent to voters, whether it's a sales tax hike. Um, I don't think it'll be a gas tax hike, but it could be. Um, and I think you'll see that in combination with a bonding package because the whole block for a bonding, a big bonding package for roads the whole time has been Democrats saying, well, how are we going to pay for it? We, you know, the fact that we've paid off um, the mousetrap doesn't um, mean that we have, or T-Rex, sorry. But we paid off T-Rex doesn't mean we have, you know, all kinds of money to do everything we want. So how are you going to pay for it? And I think Republicans are signaling they're ready to pay for it. Patty, what does this mean, I guess, officially for the long embattled uh, uh, communities in Swansea and Elyria? Well, it's not the only thing going on up there. We've got to remember that. You've got the $1 billion National Western Complex that's coming in. So I think probably what we could do is we could go set up some lunch carts because you're talking about $2.2 billion in that corridor. Just go set up some lunch carts, overcharge the workers, and we can start paying that off that way. I think anyone who has driven over that knows something needs to be done, whether the 14-year in the work plan is the right thing or the ditch the ditch plan is the right one. We may never know at this time, although we are certainly going to see plenty of lawsuits that are going to be fighting this. But will it save Valeria? A lot of those people have sold their houses already. I mean, what it's going to mean is they're not going to be able to reach their houses probably for the next 10 years because of the construction mess. David, you're our esteemed lawyer at the table. We talked about these other legal hurdles. Are they significant? At least in terms of time, you can always... Uh, they were throwing sand in the gears. You know, in, in 1999, <clears throat> Republican Governor Bill Owens and a Republican legislature sent to the voters a proposal for a bond issue for widening of I-25 that included more lanes and also uh, a, a, a mass transit corridor in there. And the voters approved it because they thought it was a specific good plan. That could well happen again, you know, for this and, and for other projects. Uh, in addition, we also see from the recent successful improvements of, of U.S. Highway 36 that there you could pay all the costs just by setting up a high occupancy vehicle uh, plus toll lane, uh, and that takes care of all of it. Now, with the, the ditch, maybe that wouldn't be sufficient to pay for I, the, the I-70 thing, but it would be a lot. If you watch Rachel Maddow, you've seen her sort of little info tutorials on, you know, th this country used to, like, build really great projects like, like the Hoover Dam and things like that, and why don't we do that anymore? And she has a very good point. And one of the key reasons is this ridiculous thing that it takes 14 years for the environmental impact statement. Should you have an environmental impact statement and should that be studied? Yes, but it is, this country is sclerotic that it takes 14 years to do that, and there's going to be more phases after that. If we're going to improve this country, have more shovel-ready projects, all those things, this insane bureaucratic timelines have to be drastically shortened. I think about how much the environment changed over 14 years. Yeah. Some of the studies wouldn't really be worth it. Well, let's get to it. Our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, I have to say the disgrace of the week and maybe of the year is everyone who so missed what was going to happen with Donald Trump. 
getting the presidency. We all sat at these tables. We were so sure we were entertained when he first entered the race, but that people did not really see what was going on. Of course, we also didn't see what was going to be happening with the FBI and Hillary's emails, and we didn't see what was going to be happening with Russia. But it is truly a remarkable... I mean, it's the most remarkable thing I can, ever mem I can think of in recent years, that you have this man elected president. And Lord love him. Let's hope he does his best. David. Georgia Congressman John Lewis, for say, for boycotting the inaugural because he says Trump's not legitimate. Well, he did the same thing to George W. Bush in 2001 and boycotted that because Trump, because Bush supposedly wasn't legitimate. In 2008, he said Republican nominee John McCain was like George Wallace. In 2012, he said Republican nominee uh, Mitt Romney wanted to reinstate Jim Crow. John Lewis had a constructive career in the 60s and in the 21st century. He has been a poisonous liar and racist. Just wish he wouldn't be so milquetoast in the show. <laughs> Eric. Whatever you make of our new president, no longer president-elect, president, I'm tired of the insults to his supporters. There is so much of the community that is, has not been able to accept him and is still not able to accept Donald Trump as president that has taken that frustration out with insults against that part of middle America that was his base of support and that they do not take these people seriously as I commented at the time his constituency long ago got used to be over being overlooked what they didn't get used to was being looked down upon we continue to see that these people used to go by a different name not the slurs that are currently hurled at them but 10 or 15 years ago they were known as Democrats Democrats might want to ponder that Kristen my disgrace of the week is this, the whole state legislature. I know that's a lot, a big one. Uh, but they started out a couple weeks ago, talks of getting together. We are a split legislature. We want to work together for the best for the state. But already, the, no progress on solving the big problems for this state, which speaks to I-70, which speaks to all of our big problems, which is this funding mess we have. Um, both sides say, why won't you talk about this? And then. Republicans say, oh, let's talk about Medicaid, and then Democrats say, well, not that. And Democrats why won't you talk about the hospital provider fee? And Republicans say, well, not that. But we, you won't talk about it. So they both are just pointing fingers and, I, I think, not going anywhere. Under a minute, let's say something nice about somebody rather quickly. Patty. With so much of old Colorado disappearing, there's a wonderful deal that happened down in Denver. My brother's bar was bought by the family of a longtime waitress manager there, and it will stay. Great report on Whistler on that. David. More good news for bars. Steve Lesbach, the Democratic state representative from Thornton, has a bill to say that local governments can decide if they want to extend the closing time beyond for bars beyond the, the state law of 2 a.m. It should be up to the local communities. Eric. I've been plenty critical of President Obama, former President Obama. You need to say something nice. This was a man of grace, of class, of eloquence, of intellect, of character. History will judge him on policies. But this was a man who did well for America and did his best. Kristen. And mine is Michael Bennett, our uh, senior senator, who got a lot of attention this week for really laying into um, Trump's uh, nominee for Health and Human Service Secretary, really holding his feet to the fire on budget issues, which both sides care about. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check out our special coverage of the Women's March on Washington on Saturday morning, courtesy of Democracy Now! Live from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Thank you.